This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, live on a rooftop overlooking Tel Aviv, Israel. It is just after 11 p.m. here, and it has been 16 days since the horrific terrorist attacks by Hamas caught this country, and frankly, much of the world, by complete surprise. We're going to start tonight with breaking news. Hamas has released two more of the hostages it kidnapped from Israel during its October 7th terrorist attack. That's according to multiple sources who say that the hostages are... Nurit Cooper and Yochaved Lifshitz. The Lifshitz family said in a statement that the women were handed over to the Red Cross and will shortly return to Israel. We happened to be at the time with Israeli Defense Forces spokesman Jonathan Konrikas when the news came in, and this is part of his reaction. They are differentiating, distinguishing between only Israelis and double citizens, or perhaps only foreigners, which rings familiar for me as a Jew and as a third-generation Holocaust survivor, rings familiar from other times in our history. Israel believes around 220 people, kidnap victims, are still being held by Hamas, and the White House believes a handful of those kidnapping victims are Americans. A U.S. official told CNN Today that Israel believes at least some of the American hostages are still alive, and sources say that the U.S. has been pushing Israel to continue delaying its ground incursion into Gaza to allow more time to get hostages out, as well as allowing crucial humanitarian relief into Gaza. I want to bring in CNN's Alex Marquard, as well as CNN's Jeremy Diamond, who's in Ashkelon, Israel. And Alex, we're hearing that these two hostages are Israeli citizens, although we're hearing some other information about maybe one or two of them, maybe one or both of them also might be dual citizens. I'm not really quite sure. It's early yet. How did these negotiations unfold? It is early yet. We're certainly trying to learn more, uh, but there is a lot that we have learned, Jake, in, in just the past few moments. This, of course, is the second release of hostages that we've seen since Friday. Uh, Judith and Natalie Hanan released on Friday, American citizens. Now we have the release of Yochaved Lifshitz, uh, 85 years old, and Nurit Cooper, 79 years old. Uh, the result of these ongoing and rather intense negotiations uh, that Hamas that Hamas is, is, is speaking with uh, both Qatar uh, and Egypt. Qatar uh, certainly leading those efforts from our understanding. So we got word not too long ago that these two Israeli women were being released by Hamas. Uh, they were released into Red Cross custody. We understand from the Lifshitz family statement from Yochaved Lifshitz's daughter that they were given to the Red Cross at the Rafah crossing. Uh, that is the, the uh, Gaza border crossing with Egypt, um, and that they will soon be back in Israel, and we assume handed over to uh, Israeli officials. Uh, Yochaved Lifshitz's daughter saying that she cannot put into words the relief uh, that she is now feeling that her mother is now safe. But, Jake, we should note she is saying that her father is still among uh, the more than 200 hostages still in 
Hamas custody. Uh, so this is the same mechanism, the same model, if you will, that was used for the release of the Renan women uh, on Friday. Uh, they are still in Israel, we understand. They're going to be debriefed by U.S. Uh, officials so that uh, the U.S. can glean what they can uh, in terms of intelligence, how they were held, how they were moved around, whatever the U.S. can learn uh, about uh, that, that time in custody in Gaza. Jake, I should also note that one day after the release of the Hanans on Saturday, Hamas said that they were really willing to release two more uh, people. And at the time, over the weekend, uh, the office of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, he called that uh, false propaganda from Hamas. So I think there are going to be a lot of questions now uh, for the prime minister. And then uh, we also have to see what will happen now, Jake. This is sort of a, a slow trickle of these, these hostage releases when, of course, Israel, the U.S., and all these other countries who have hostages are demanding that they all get released uh, immediately, Jake. And Jeremy, what, what does this uh, particular hostage release mean for Israel's potential plans for a ground invasion? I have heard it speculated that Hamas is doing exactly what it's doing so as to delay the ground invasion. Well, there's no question that that is certainly one of the aims of Hamas here. I mean, they have held these two women, for example, who are being released tonight for more than two weeks. And yet it is only now that they say that they are releasing them on humanitarian grounds. And so it appears clear that Hamas has been repeatedly dangling the possibility of releasing additional hostages in order uh, to uh, try and get Israel to delay and perhaps inevitably push off. Uh, indefinitely push off, rather, uh, a ground invasion. But I think what appears clear is that even as the United States has been asking Israel to delay its ground invasion in order to leave more time for these Qatar-led mediation efforts to try and get some hostages released, uh, Israel may be willing to delay that invasion for a matter of days, perhaps. But ultimately, Israel is going to move forward with this ground invasion. It is clear when you uh, are on the ground, as we were today, uh, seeing uh, the enormous massing of troops, tanks, armored personnel carriers, bulldozers, all uh, within just a few miles of the Gaza border, uh, ready to go. Uh, troops uh, certainly prepared to go at a moment's notice as soon as they get that command. And also, as you listen to Israel's top military officials, uh, Israel's uh, top political leaders as well, all of them really not mincing any words about what is coming next, making clear that there will be a ground invasion, making clear that this will be a, quote, multilateral operation, as the defense minister said tonight, from air, land, and sea. And so it seems very difficult to imagine Israel backing off from that position, given uh, the, the bellicose rhetoric that we have heard from Israel's political and military leadership in recent days. All right, Alex Marquardt and Jeremy Diamond and Ashkelon, thank you so much. Today, here in Israel, there is a renewed effort by Israeli officials to try to not only dispel myths uh, and rumors, but also be clear about Hamas's brutalities against innocent civilians. The Israeli Defense Forces gathered hundreds of international journalists today uh, to show them proof, to show them videos uh, such as this one, which the IDF released today, um, proof positive, uh, evidence of Hamas brutality. The IDF says this is proof of the brutality of Hamas. They showed Hamas gunmen shooting a driver on an Israeli highway. Now, beyond this video that they released today, uh, they also showed another 40-minute-long film from the GoPro data 
on the bodies of dead Hamas terrorists. 40 minutes. This was shown to CNN and other journalists both last week and today. We're not going to show you these videos, this 40 minutes. So graphic, so disgusting, so disturbing from the point of view of the terrorists. But you should know what's in them. Some of the images that the journalists who saw them witnessed, such as a father and his two young sons, maybe like seven or eight, running for their lives into a shelter of some sort. A terrorist throws a grenade into the shelter. The dad is killed. The boys are wounded. Another shows a terrorist trying to behead a man with some sort of garden hoe. Another shows a truck full of terrorists throwing the corpse of a woman onto the road. Images of burned babies. I asked IDF spokesman Jonathan Conricus why. Why does Israel feel the, the need to show this evidence, to show this proof to the world? People are looking away. And I think that the world needs to know, needs to see, and needs to understand what we feel and what Israelis feel and what brought all of us into this horrible situation. And if you don't know, if you aren't aware of the horrible, atrocious, murders, beheadings, mutilations, rape, and all of the burning people alive, all of these horrible things that we never thought that we would witness as an Israeli military of our civilians. But if people aren't aware, they won't be able to understand where we are, and they won't be able to understand where this is going. I want to go now to CNN's Clarissa Ward, who is in Cairo, Egypt. And Clarissa, you've been following uh, a different story, the dire crisis in Gaza, the dire need for food, for medicine, for water. Today, another 20 aid trucks were able to enter the territory for Egypt, but that is, that's still not enough. No, Jake, it's really a drop in the bucket. You're talking about, in the last few days, some 60 trucks that have managed to get into Gaza. And just to give you some perspective, before this war, three weeks ago, 455 trucks a day, according to the UN. In the last 16 days, there's been no aid going in. On a normal level, there would have been more than 7,000 trucks going in during a 16-day period. And meanwhile, this is happening against the backdrop of relentless and punishing bombardment. The scenes in these hospitals is just extraordinary. It's harrowing. We spoke to one doctor in the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza City. He said two days left before their fuel runs out. The situation will go from critical to dire. And I want to warn our viewers that some of the images they're about to see are distressing. You are entering the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza City. This is just one minute on one day. But doctors tell us it could be any minute of the last 16 days. It is a scene from hell. Many of the patients are young children. The reception area, now a triage center. 
and everywhere you turn, another casualty. Every one of these people has been ordered by Israel's military to evacuate the hospital, including the staff, already outnumbered and overwhelmed. And as the punishing bombardment continues, the wounded keep flooding in. Doctors say there's nowhere else for them to go and no safe way to transport them out. We had the massacre. The mass casualties once or twice a day, but now we have every half an hour casualties. So it, it is overloaded. Our emergency department and our OT department and our IBD department are overloaded with the patients. Dr. Marwan Abu Sada warns that the situation is about to get dramatically worse. The hospital, he says, is just two days away from running out of fuel, needed to power the generators that are keeping the hospital and its patients alive. If you do run out of fuel in two days, what will you do? I mean, what can you do? I think the international community will be part of the process of killing of our people. If they don't act on Israel to allow to get this fuel into enter Gaza, what to do for the people who are in the ICU and mechanical ventilator? What about the neonatal, neonates, the small babies? We have more than 130 in our neonatal ICU units. What to do with them? They will, okay, we, it is, I think we are allowing them to die in peace. This is the issue if we don't have a fuel to run our generators in the hospital. Just a trickle of aid has been allowed to cross into Gaza and none of it fuel. Blocked by Israel, it says over concerns it will be taken by Hamas. Hundreds of trucks are waiting along the Egyptian side of the border. But diplomatic efforts to establish a continuous humanitarian corridor have failed, and there is no more time for debate. Now, Jake, Dr. Abu Sada said that of that aid, those 60-some trucks that have come into Gaza, none of them yet have actually made it to his hospital in the northern part of the enclave. That is the part that is supposed to be evacuated, that Israelis have ordered to evacuate for obvious reasons you saw in our story there. It's simply not possible to evacuate, not clear when he will actually get his hands or when his hospital will get their hands on some of that aid. One other important point, other than the fuel that he underscored, is water. There is a real crisis now with water. He said a lot of people are drinking brackish water. There are some 50,000 pregnant women in the Gaza Strip right now, according to the UN. He said they're seeing increased rates of preeclampsia in those women because of drinking impure water. Really, this crisis, no end in sight, Jake, and the stakes are just so very high now. Clar Clarissa Ward in Cairo, thank you so much. There is understandably a tremendous sense of outrage and unease here in Israel for so many. Any sense of security has been tragically shattered. Uh, for others, the October 7th attacks, as grisly as they were, have spurred in some a new sense of, of purpose and service. My sister killed. She go to run next to Kibbutz Erez, between Erez and Nativa Asara, and she's not back. And I just buried her last week. At the Tel Aviv airport, what would be normal arrivals and departures are now, 16 days after the horror of October 7th, punctuated by the emotions of war.
some coming now to join the fight, and those leaving, searching for escape. I don't have home anymore. I don't know where we're going to, ba- to live. Elena Barr had just buried her sister, Naomi. She was killed while out on a run near Kibbutz Eres. Elena had also survived the attack on her own kibbutz near Netanya. We're lucky. We're alive because we have a 16 terrorism in my kibbutz. <laughs> We're lucky. I, I said thank you, God, the met. After much more than two weeks of war and facing a much longer future of uncertainty, some families are looking to flee. We decided to leave for a while because we live here in Ashkelon. It's like a tough time to be here now with kids especially. after have boys. So having a chance to live and stay in safe place for a while. So we decided to go. Some people are just arriving in Israel from all over the world. They've been moved to come and try to help in any way they can. I came to help. I'm a volunteer. I brought... 400 pounds worth of supplies for the soldiers. We're going to drop them off, and then I'm going to volunteer in a hospital. Felt like I had to do something. Felt felt like I had to get up. I volunteered here before, and I just knew I had to come. Others are trying to return to normal, saying the last few weeks have been a reminder to celebrate life and love. My son is getting married here Thursday night. We're forging ahead, and we're very a big simcha, big joy, and uh, you know Jews are, are jugglers. So we're juggling the, the, the pain, the, the sorrow, with the, with the joy. And it seems like you have to do both at the same time. You know, you have to juggle. Scenes from the Tel Aviv airport today. Coming up later on in the lead, the son of one of the founders of Hamas, who became an informant for Israel undercover with Hamas. He has a message for the U.S. and the world that you're going to want to hear. But first, concerning U.S. intelligence showing Iranian-backed militias want to ramp up attacks on U.S. forces in the Middle East. We're going to go to the Pentagon for the new reporting. That's next. Welcome back to The Lead, live in Tel Aviv, Israel, on the heels of this war entering a new chapter, a new disturbing Warning from the Pentagon, intelligence shows Iranian-backed militias are ready to ramp up attacks against U.S. forces in the Middle East. I want to go now to CNN's Oren Lieberman at the Pentagon. Oren, this comes as two attack drones targeting a U.S. forces base in Syria were shot down today. What does this new intelligence tell us? Jake, the U.S. Uh, has intelligence that Iranian-backed militias in the Middle East, that would be Shiite groups in Iraq and Syria, are preparing for the possibility of escalating and ramping up the attacks they have carried out, according to multiple U.S. officials. And these, this would be as Iran looks to take advantage of the situation and the conflict in, uh, in Gaza between Israel and Hamas, also taking advantage of the anti-Israel and anti-U.S. sentiment growing across the region. Now, Iran backs these groups, funds these groups, and arms these groups. The question now, how direct is this support? Officials say it's not that Iran is necessarily saying go carry out these attacks, but according to the officials, it appears that Iran is encouraging them and doing nothing to stop them. A far more direct 
link than U.S. officials believe Iran had with the initial October 7th terror attack carried about by Hamas. In that case, U.S. officials said Iran was surprised by the attack. Here, there is no surprise. There is a much clearer link that the U.S. is seeing, and it comes, as you pointed out, with a number of attacks that have taken place against U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria on the U.S. positions there. It also comes as uh, just several days ago we saw the USS Kearney, a destroyer in the, Middle East, uh, in the Red Sea there, intercepting a number of drones and missiles that the U.S. says was, were intended for Israel. That also part of Iranian-backed groups trying to take advantage of the situation and attack U.S. forces, and in that case the forces of Israel, across the region. Here is John Kirby, spokesman for the National Security Council, about the links they're seeing here and the growing threat. Now, we know these groups are supported by the IRGC and the regime. We know Iran continues to support Hamas and Hezbollah. And we know that Iran is closely monitoring these events, and in some cases actively facilitating these attacks and spurring on others who may want to exploit the conflict for their own good or for that of Iran. We know Iran's goal is to maintain some level of deniability here, but we're not going to allow them to do that. In the current situation, the U.S. sees a significant threat across the Middle East, also noting that that threat includes the possibility of attacks on U.S. Cor uh, forces, according to a senior military official speaking with reporters just a short time ago. So this is something the U.S. is watching very closely. In addition to all the steps it's taken to beef up force protection, including the uh, addition of a Patriot battery and battalion to the region, as well as a THAAD air defense battery. So the U.S. taking these th threats very seriously. Orrin Lieberman at the Pentagon, thanks so much. How much say does the U.S. have on Israel's plans for a ground invasion? Well, my next guest knows very much how these negotiations play out. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. <laughs> Welcome back to Lead. I'm Jake Tapper and I'm live in Tel Aviv. We're getting some brand new video of the two hostages who were just released by Hamas. And you can see, uh, if you look, uh, paramedics tending to Nurit Cooper and Yochaved Lifshitz. 
the uh, Lifshitz family put out a statement confirming that the two women were handed over to the Red Cross at the Rafa crossing. Uh, sources tell CNN that the U.S. is trying to delay the ground incursion into Gaza in hopes of getting even more hostages out and more aid into Gaza. Uh, with me to discuss, former Israeli ambassador to the United States, uh, Michael Oren. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, good to see you again. Um, do you think uh, that President Biden will be able to continue prevailing upon Prime Minister Netanyahu to continue delaying uh, the ground incursion for the reasons laid out to let humanitarian aid in and to allow the more hostages out. I don't know that he's actually prevailing upon Ben Netanyahu to actually do this. And, and the, the, the National Security Council has denied it. The State Department has denied it. But let's say for argument's sake, they are asking Israel, the United States is asking Israel to delay a bit. That's going to be one of many considerations for the Israeli government. Okay, there's the question of whether the troops are ready to go in, whether they've had enough, uh, gathered enough evidence and intelligence about enemy positions, about the location of the hostages. And then finally, we want to get all of the Palestinian civilians away from the combat zone. To have them in the middle of a crossfight is not going to be good for us either. Mm. So there are many other considerations. And keep in mind, we're at a total mobilization. We have 360,000 soldiers have been mobilized. They, these are the young women and men are the backbone of our economy. And they've left their families, their homes. Their, yeah, tell their, their, it is pitch quiet. Empty, empty, right? Yeah. There's only limited time you can keep that many people away and keep them mobilized. And it's now been two weeks. It's a very long time. When do you think uh, the ground incursion could begin? And let me just also ask yeah. you, is it wise? I mean, does it make sense? I mean, I've heard a lot of smart people like General Petraeus and others, people who know urban combat, who say taking some time and thinking strategically might not be the worst idea. It's not much the worst idea, but we have other clocks going. And again, one of those clocks is how many, how many days you can keep these, this 360,000 mobilized, uh, how fast we can move that Palestinian population out of the war zone, other considerations, it's true. But at the end of the day, there is no alternative but in Israel to go in. Understand that for us, this is existential. Okay? If Hamas gets away with butchering, murdering, burning, raping 1,400 Israeli citizens, then this place becomes kind of uninhabitable. I don't know if you'd raise your kids here or anybody would raise their kids here. I mean, this would be the equivalent of losing 54,000 Americans in two days. Um, and what would the United States do? And uh, there's no way that we can restore our, our security, our deterrence power. We're in a tough neighborhood. And begin to heal internally, because a lot, lot's been damaged internally, the relationship between the people of Israel and the state of Israel. We cannot do that if Hamas wins this round. And a ceasefire simply means Hamas wins and we lose. Yeah, I mean, I didn't bring that up, yeah. the ceasefire. But let me ask you just like some logistical questions yeah. or just how many how many people in Hamas do you do you hold responsible for what happened October 7th because I've heard many people say Hamas is not the Palestinian people I mean the Palestinian people did elect Hamas in October um, I'm sorry in the elections of 2006 mm -hmm. and then since then Hamas has not allowed an election and they've they've killed a lot of people that were their political opposition right. and in many ways the Palestinians have been victims of Hamas in, in many ways as well, Indeed. right? So how many, 
How many would you hold responsible? Personally, well, they say about 150,000 actual members of Hamas. But, uh, I mean, is that like the bath party? Like, I mean, some of them members of Hamas because they have to be to have a government job just to be trash collectors? But let's look what happens in you know, Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. You have Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority. He's been president. He's now in the 18th year of his four-year term. Why doesn't he stand for re-election? Because in every poll, Hamas destroys him. Hamas has a landslide victory. So Hamas is very, very popular among the Palestinian population. It's why there's a strong feeling among Israelis that we have a conflict not just with the terrorist organization, we have a, we have a conflict with a large segment of the Palestinian people. Um, having said that, and I personally am not a spokesman for the government anymore, as you know, I'm, I'm right. in favor of you know, humanitarian aid and opening that, that corridor uh, for many reasons. Uh, first of all, it has to do with our character as a, a Jewish and democratic state, but I also think ultimately uh, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, will have more time and space to fight Hamas if the international community is not accusing us of being an inhumane. But, uh, but out in the Israeli public, there's a real sense that the Palestinian population, or big segment of it, both in Gaza, in the West Bank, liked Hamas, applauded Hamas, and applauded our people when they were being butchered. There's been a lot of comparisons uh, with an, a potential Israeli ground incursion, mm -hmm. with when the U.S. was in Iraq and, yeah. we, and the U.S. fought in Fallujah, uh, and that was a bloody, awful fight. Mm -hmm. And obviously Gaza City is much bigger than Fallujah, Fallujah. And the Iraqi fighters were, were gentlemen compared to Hamas. It's even worse than that. I mean, I've, I've fought in Gaza. I'm trying to say it's actually worse. What's worse is that, you know, it's a warrant of alleys and cul-de-sacs. They're all booby-trapped. They're mined. Right. Right. But, but the worst fighting is underneath. Oh, right. And you have the tunnels. The real fighting is underneath. You're talking about dozens and dozens of miles of tunnels and bunkers. All of them are, are booby-trapped. And we have forces that are trained to go underground and fight underground. And I That's was talking... That's why I'm saying, is it wise to, to go in there that way, as opposed to special forces and taking longer but doing it more effectively. I'm no military strategist, I'm just saying. Again, number of clocks, and one of the clocks is how long, you know, say, say if you've got a million Palestinians out in southern uh, Gaza, out in the winter, and that's another clock, by the way, the rain's gonna start falling here. It's clear tonight, but it has been raining here. Um, how long can that situation be sustained? And uh, I, I think sending in special forces to deal with the Hamas force of 150,000 people which has proven to be militarily very well equipped, uh, is not the response. I think there's no really alternative to Israel sending in a significant force and taking on Hamas full force and doing it very cautiously as we can because it's going to be costly for us. But the big debate here is whether we should deal with Hezbollah first. Mm. And it was a debate uh, I had written in the Israeli press about the possibility that maybe we should contain Hamas because they're not going anywhere, right? They're trapped. And we can continue hitting them from the ground, from the air, every different way. But Hezbollah, as a force, as a, as a threat, is about 15 times larger than Hamas. They have 150,000 rockets. They can hit anything in Israel with a bigger payload, and many of these rockets are very accurate. And they have a terrorist force that has been killing Syrians by the hundreds of thousands for, for 10 years. So they, they are vicious, vicious, vicious. And there's a fear, and I think a very, very base fear, that once Israel is in Gaza and bogged down fighting Gaza, the troops are tired, maybe we're running low on ammunition, that's when Hezbollah will strike us. And uh, that's a very, that's almost a, a conventional wisdom here that Hezbollah at a certain stage will not be able to stay out. And the big question is, who strikes first? Who gets the preemption? Former Israeli ambassador to the U.S., Michael Oren, good to see you again. Good to see you, Jake. Thanks be for safe. being here, really appreciate right. it. Coming up next, a strike 
near a Christian church in Gaza see the impact after the Israeli military says it tried to target a Hamas command center. Stay with us. But this was no sanctuary. Residents of Gaza say they feel nowhere is safe as the IDF ramps up its aerial bombardment in the region going after Hamas. Places of worship, refugee camps, schools, areas where innocent civilians are trying to stay safe are caught in the crosshairs because, uh, as we know, Hamas uses innocent civilians as human shields. They embed themselves within the populace. CNN's Jamana Karaja reports now from southern Lebanon. And a warning, some may find her report disturbing. This is a war on Hamas, Israel says, but it is the people of Gaza who are paying the heaviest price. No place safe, no place spared Israel's wrath. Danger looms around every corner of this besieged land. Every day, every minute, spent in fear of when death may strike. Many now write their children's names on their legs, so if they're killed, their little ones are not just a number. Israel says it doesn't target civilians. It's Hamas, they say, that's using them as human shields. They try to avoid civilian casualties, they say, but the numbers and pictures tell a different story in a place where it is the innocent who are the majority. Hospitals, schools, mosques have been bombed. And on Friday, Gazans absorbing another horror, one that hit their tiny Christian community. An airstrike on a building at the compound of the San Porfirius Orthodox Church, one of the oldest churches in the world, where hundreds had sought refuge from the relentless bombardment. But this was no sanctuary. A scene of chaos at this house of worship. With no power, they use their phones to light up the rubble and dig bodies and survivors out of the carnage. Daylight brought the painful scenes of those searching through shrouded bodies for their loved ones. The inconsolable grief of those who found them. The gut-wrenching grief of a father mourning his children and a grandmother, her little George. With no prior warning, they bombed civilians in the church. They killed my three children. They killed my cousins. My whole cousin's family was wiped. The Israeli military said the airstrike was targeting a Hamas command and control center nearby. They said this was not the intention, what they call collateral damage. 17 Christians, entire families, including infants, perished in this strike. 26-year-old Viola was killed along with her husband and baby girl. Her sister Yara, her husband and children also gone. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We are here 2,000 years and we are not going to live. We'll stay here. We'll continue our life as all the population in Gaza Strip. So much grief, so much anger at the silence over their suffering and those who won't stop the bloodshed. This is a message to the world and specifically this message is to Biden, to the President of the United States. He should know that the Christian Arabs, Christian community in Gaza are being targeted. No one is safe here in Gaza. Everyone in danger. Shell-shocked survivors, both Christians and Muslims, sat around the church this weekend. There's seemingly nowhere left to run.
And Jake, the death toll in Gaza is continuing to rise. According to the Palestinian Health Ministry, they say more than 5,000 people have been killed. They say the majority of them are women and children, more than 2,000 children. UN experts who have unequivocally condemned Hamas's attack on Israel, the atrocities committed against Israeli civilians, are warning that what is happening in Gaza right now is a violation of international laws with the siege and the Israeli bombardment. They say it is collective punishment of a population in this military operation, they say, is resulting in crimes against humanity, Jake. Jamana Karacha, thank you so much. And as these images of horror play out around the world, we are seeing more displays of anti-Semitism in the United States. And that story is next. Welcome back to The Lead, live from Tel Aviv, Israel. The Department of Homeland Security in the United States is warning that the war between Israel and Hamas will likely increase anti-Semitic and anti-Muslim hate attacks inside the U.S. That's according to ABC News. As CNN's Nick Watt reports for us now, we are already seeing multiple disturbing incidents of anti-Semitism. Americans from many walks of life showing support for the people of Gaza. Meanwhile, it's largely just Jews at the very few demonstrations in support of the Israeli civilians who were tortured and slaughtered October 7th, and for the more than 200 taken hostage and still held by Hamas terrorists inside Gaza. Some Jews who march, for example, for Black Lives Matter or the women of Iran, feel let down. It's really, really, really upsetting to see that people, to see our people, to see people who we stand with not stand with us. Our humble ask is that people give a damn when we die. That's Rabbi Sharon Brous in a now viral sermon. It feels like a great sense of abandonment. People who we've been in the trenches working with for many years, um, not only don't grieve when Jews are massacred, but actually celebrate. It's, it's, a, it's devastating. She is a regular critic of the Israeli government and a peace advocate. People feel like they're forced to have to choose between this or this, when in fact, what we have to do is find the moral imagination to dream of a different kind of future in which all people can live in justice. In Brookhaven, Georgia, anti-Semitic flyers were passed out overnight Saturday. In San Diego, an Israeli cultural center closed indefinitely after being vandalized twice in three days. It seems that a lot of feelings of anti-Semitic hatred have been dormant, mostly, until now. In Los Angeles, a Jewish school says that after a game, our football team experienced a variety of anti-Semitic language and gestures, including the Nazi salute, mostly from the stands, although a couple of the opposing players were involved as well. Having that history still so alive in our spirit and in recent memory, um, it does alert us to the hints of those kinds of um, major social currents in our own time. In Skokie, Illinois, Sunday, a pro-Palestinian counter-protest sprung up near an Israeli solidarity rally. Someone pulled a gun, fired in the air. The governor is calling for calm in a state that has seen a rise in hate and real hurt for its Jewish and Arab citizens. Nick Watt, CNN, Los Angeles. 
Our thanks to CNN's Nick Watt for that report. Coming up, the son of a founder of Hamas who became an informant for Israel. We'll bring you his message for the U.S., for Israel, and for the world. That's next. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, standing on a rooftop overlooking Tel Aviv. It is just after midnight here. It has been 16 days since the absolutely horrific terrorist attacks by Hamas caught this country and, frankly, most of the world by surprise. We're going to start tonight with breaking news, the release of two more hostages who were held captive, kidnapped by Hamas. Video, new video, shows Nurit Cooper and Yochaved Lifshitz right after they crossed the border from Gaza into Egypt this evening. They were met by paramedics and taken away in ambulances. They become the third and fourth hostages released by Hamas after two Americans were released on Friday. Israel has also told the U.S that they believe some of the American hostages still held by Hamas are alive, but the fate of many other hostages remains unknown. Hamas kidnapped 222 innocent people during its deadly, heinous invasion on October 7th. 222, it is believed. And negotiating the release of these remaining hostages is one of the big reasons the U.S. wants Israel to delay its ground incursion into Gaza. The Israeli defense minister saying an operation by air, ground and sea will be coming, quote, soon. The IDF today said Israeli soldiers are taking part in training exercises to improve their capabilities for future ground operations. The other reason the U.S. wants Israel to delay any ground offensive is to make sure that more humanitarian aid can get into Gaza to help the innocents the innocent Palestinians. As of now, 54 aid trucks have entered Gaza, but relief groups warn much, much more help is necessary. To put this into context, the the area normally gets about 455 aid trucks every day since October 7th. Gaza is more than 7,000 truckloads short of normal standards. But, a senior Israeli official told CNN, there will be no ceasefire. The IDF says it hit more than 320 targets overnight. Those strikes killed at least 436 people, including 182 children. That is according to the Palestinian Health Ministry, which we should note is controlled by Hamas. So take that claim for what it's worth. Let's get right to CNN's Nick Robertson in Stirot, which is outside of Gaza, and CNN's Alex Marquardt in Washington, D.C. Nick, uh, we're now seeing this new video of these latest two released hostages. Walk us through this video. What exactly are we seeing? 
Yeah, what we're seeing them uh, is them being released at the Rafa crossing at the south of the Gaza Strip into Egypt. Remembering at the weekend or late Friday night, we saw the other two American hostages released at the Karim Shalom border crossing um, out of Gaza into Israel. So these two have been released into Egypt. We've seen them there at the border um, getting some medical treatment, rudimentary medical treatment in, in ambulances there before being transferred on, expected for their journey back into uh, Israel shortly. Alex, we're, we're hearing that one of the daughters of one of the hostages made a statement. Yes, uh, uh, Jake, uh, the daughter of uh, Yochavid Lifshitz, Sharon, has made a statement confirming some of the details that we had learned from sources, uh, but also, of course, expressing joy at uh, the release of her mother, who goes by Yochi, we are told, as well as Nurit Cooper, uh, who is 79 years old, uh, Yochavid Lifshitz, 85 years old. Uh, the statement says, while I cannot put into words the relief that she is now safe, I will remain focused on securing the release of my father and all those some 200 innocents who remain hostage in Gaza. So her father, uh, along with her mother, were both hostages. Uh, her mother has now been released. As Nick noted, we are still waiting to hear uh, when the two women will be handed over to Israeli authorities. We can imagine that they will then uh, be taken into uh, military custody, perhaps, for more medical checkups. This is the same format, essentially, the broad strokes, at least, that we saw with uh, Judith and Natalie Hanan on, on Friday when they were released by Hamas. Uh, Jake, this begs all kinds of questions about what happens next. Um, there are certainly going to be some questions for the prime minister's office because he had dismissed as false propaganda uh, a Hamas statement over the weekend that they were ready to release two more of their hostages. And of course, this is going to put a lot more pressure on Israel uh, to delay that ground incursion so that there can be more time uh, for more of these hostages to come out and more aid to go in to Gaza. Jake. Nick, how are the IDF's preparations for any ground incursion going? Um, according to the Army Chief of General Staff just a few hours ago, he said, we're ready. Everything's ready for a ground, in, uh, ground incursion in the south, meaning uh, around Gaza. And from what we've seen, the troops are there. The uh, heavy battle armor is there. The tanks that you would expect to be at the forefront of an incursion are there. The, uh, the heavy armored fighting vehicles that you'd expect for the infantry to be following the tanks in are there. And also the heavy uh, up-armored mechanical diggers that would go ahead of the tanks to help clear the route, clear the route through the wall, through the fence, uh, and, and through the areas where it's possible Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad could have been laying booby traps, IEDs, uh, planning ambushes, all those sorts of things. They're going to be the immediate danger for the troops as they, as they go into the Gaza Strip. But, but from, from everything we've seen, uh, the preparations have been laid. The troops are there. Soldiers we've talked to have said, look, we've been stood up, stood down. Commanders we've talked to have said we're using this time for training. It's helped us in the past in previous battles. So the army seems very ready and, and, and at this moment absolutely intent. Nick, I wanted to ask you, um, I've, we've been talking on the show about urban warfare, urban combat, because, you know, obviously Gaza is very densely populated. And specifically, General Kimmett compared Gaza to the bloody battle of Fallujah in 2004. We've talked about it with Petraeus. We've talked about it with Kimmet. You covered it. Um, 
talk about that uh, and, and how tough that was and how tougher this could be. Yeah, I, I think this fight in, uh, going into Gaza will be orders of magnitude tougher for the IDF. They've been in before. They know the terrain, but this is also Hamas's, uh, Hamas's own turf, so they will have laid plenty of booby traps. Um, there are differences between Fallujah, significant differences between Fallujah and, and Gaza. I've been in the Gaza as well. The, the roads there are so narrow. It's very densely populated. There are a lot of big, tall buildings. Fallujah, as I remember, with the Marines on the streets there, we were running down streets, but they were wider. They were more like boulevards. There were, there were bigger villas. Uh, there was less, if you will, of urban infrastructure and less places for, um, you know, terrorists to hide out and, and ambush the troops as they were going in. And that was a, a very dangerous environment. And several times we got pulled into firefights. I remember being in the middle of a firefight when we were supposed to be dropped off from a, a, a Bradley fighting vehicle. It got diverted, pulled into a firefight. So there are all sorts of things that are going to happen on the ground that are, that are not part of the original plan. But the other thing I think that's a significant difference, other than really this is a well-dug-in and well-prepared force, uh, Hamas have been in Gaza for years, decades. Um, Al-Qaeda in Fallujah, really, although some of them were indigenous, um, they'd only really been stood up as a fighting force for about a year, and it was easy for them to fall back out of the town environment, the urban fight, and into the farm, into the farmlands and, and escape the fight. Um, here, the enemy is going to be contained and constrained in an area of, of essentially where they can pick and direct the fight. It's going to be tough. CNN's Nick Robertson and Alex Marquardt, thank you so much. Joining us now, Mossab Hassan Youssef. He is the son of a Hamas founding father and later become, became one of Israel's top informants. He went undercover with Hamas from 1997 until 2007 on behalf of Israel's Shin Bet security services, and he now lives in an undisclosed location. Um, Mossab, Youssef, thank you so much for joining us. Um, what did you see and experience um, that made you turn on Hamas and, and help Israel? You know, since I was a child, I always complained to my father uh, about Hamas' uh, abuse of power and uh, their brutality, you know, they, they're very strict and uh, uh, they uh, very religious, uh, they're fanatics. And, uh, but I did not think at some point, you know, they would cause all this global trouble. You know, uh, they, they are, we saw their uh, brutality. Uh, I witnessed their brutality firsthand when I was in prison, when they tortured so many Palestinian uh, people for suspicion uh, of collaborating with Israel. And this is basically when I start questioning Hamas uh, uh, movement. Did the barbarity and, and the cruelty of what Hamas did to innocent civilians on October 7th, did that surprise you? Well, you know, they surprised me as they surprised everybody uh, by the scale of the attack. You know, uh, we did not see that coming. But their brutality, the, their nature, it did not surprise me. You know, back in 1996, 
they killed so many people. They tortured so many people. Our, you know, prison mates, basically uh, people I knew personally. Uh, they uh, did all type of uh, crazy things. You know, uh, they uh, uh, put needles under people's fingernails. You know, and I, I witnessed that firsthand. So uh, I'm not surprised to what extent Hamas can go. Uh, but the scale of the attack on October 7th, that was a uh, surprise, I think, for everybody, including Hamas themselves. Were you surprised at the failure of Israeli intelligence on October 7th? Uh, listen, there was a failure, but this is not the time to blame anybody. There, there, uh, there is corruption, there is failure. Uh, there is lack of leadership, but this is not the time now to blame anybody. This is the time to get unified. You know, the United States need to give Israel the necessary cover to uproot Hamas. You know, Hamas, Israel is fighting on behalf of America. Israel is fighting on behalf of the Palestinian people. Israel now is fighting on behalf of the free world. This is not a political propaganda. I, uh, as an ex-Hamas uh, member, the son of the founder of Hamas organization. And today, as an American citizen, I ask the president of the United States to give Israel the necessary cover, the necessary supply, whatever it takes to uproot Hamas. Otherwise, the next war is going to be deadlier. I know that you think that Hamas is the enemy of not just Israel, but the Palestinian people. Strategically, do you think it is wise for the Israeli Defense Forces to, to stage a ground incursion into Gaza to uproot Hamas? Do you think that's a smart thing to do? Well, you know, uh, now it's a war time, unfortunately. And this war, uh, Israel did not start. Hamas started this war. And Hamas, in fact, uh, in this equation, uh, blood for money, they start a war every uh, few years. Whenever they want money, you know, they uh, shed uh, children's blood. Uh, this is their game. And this has to stop. This to ha have to come to an end. And unfortunately, the price is not going to be cheap. Uh, in fact, I feel very sorry for Israel that they have to go into Gaza where there are booby traps all over the place and tunnels all over the place. I don't know how many Israeli soldiers have to die in order to uh, uh, destroy uh, Hamas. This is the most complicated mission a modern army uh, uh, has in our, uh, in our modern day. Now, what I suggest, you know, uh, to the Israelis, that they wait, they take their time, they collect intelligence. And what I need from the United States to give enough support. In fact, I would like to see the Navy SEALs taking part in this. I know this sounds horrible, but again, I speak as a taxpayer, as an American today, that we need to be unified. We need to give Israel the support. We need to free Palestinians and free Gaza from Hamas ruling. You were embedded with Hamas before you were... Well, first you were with Hamas and then you were embedded with Hamas on behalf of the Shin Bet. What can you tell us about what motivates these people? What, 
What are they like? What are the leaders of Hamas like? What do they want? Uh, well, they are a religious movement. And this is what everybody is afraid to say. If Hamas was a political movement, then we can satisfy their political ambition. But Hamas is a religious movement that does not believe in political borders. You know, they want to establish an Islamic state, state on the rubble of the state of Israel. They want to annihilate the Jewish people and the Jewish state. They want to kill everybody who support Israel, then establish an Islamic state. But this is not the end because their uh, ambition is global. They want to establish eventually an Islamic state, a global state. So this is what's on their mind. And we know that we cannot satisfy their ambition. And the more power you know, we give them, the more aggressive they are going to be. Uh, hence, we cannot give Hamas what they want. We cannot give them what they are asking for. Whatever it takes. You know, in war, people die. And we need to prepare public. You know, I say that this is an ugly war. Israel did not start it. But Israel will end it. So the United States insists that the aid being provided for civilians in Gaza will not go to Hamas. Do you believe that the aid will not go to Hamas? Do you believe that the aid will only go to the innocent Palestinians? You know, the United States and uh, Europe um, have been very generous with the Palestinian people, but their leadership steal the money all the time. They steal the aid. Uh, so much aid came into Gaza. Hamas used all that aid to build tunnels under the ground. And now look at the chaos they are creating. The aid is great, but not right now. I suggest that we open the border for the Palestinian innocent people, including women, children, and elders, to leave the Gaza Strip or to go into a safe zone. Uh, in the meantime, we have to enforce unbreachable siege on Hamas. Otherwise, we, we are not able to deplete them. They are under the ground. They have hostages. We have to cut power. We cannot give them food. We cannot give them water. And we have to deplete them for long weeks before we can even go in. You know, otherwise, we cannot win this war against this brutal enemy, enemy of humanity. Musab Youssef, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate your insights. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Israel believes that more than 20 of the hostages currently being held by Hamas are children. One of them, a young boy who should be right now celebrating his birthday. His family will join me next. On October 7th, eight-year-old Ohad Mundur Zachary and his mother were visiting his grandparents when Hamas invaded and brutally attacked their kibbutz, burning their home to the ground. Ohad, his mother Karen, and his grandparents were all kidnapped. Today is Ohad's birthday. He turns nine years old. Instead of celebrating with his friends and family, he's a prisoner of a terrorist group. And two members of his family join me right now, Mehrav and Itai Raviv. Thank you so much for being here. And I can't even imagine what's going through your head. How is the family marking Ohad's ninth birthday? Uh, actually, we had an idea of uh, 
having a campaign of celebrating uh, his not celebrating but uh, mention his uh, birthday today so we ask uh, via all media uh, for everyone in Israel to hang a balloon that's why you have or, the balloon yeah, for his birthday. Yeah, that's why I have the balloon. The balloon is uh, red since uh, Ohad uh, was a f uh, his uncle liked uh, Liverpool, which is red, and uh, his team in Israel, the their uh, color is also red. Um, uh, Ohad and his mother lives in uh, Kfar Saba. They just came to visit, as you said, uh, to visit in Nir Oz. So today all Kfar Saba, all their town was filled with balloons and all over children flew balloons and wrote letters. And it was amazing to see that all the Israelis and also uh, abroad in London, we had uh, uh, videos from London and from San Francisco that, that kids uh, try to have, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to kind of celebrate his birthday. Itai, not, not how a nine-year-old should be celebrating his birthday. No, definitely not. I think uh, kids should not be in uh, Hamas's hands. Kids should not be uh, inside uh, captivity of a terror organization. We all saw what Hamas is capable of two weeks ago. We saw the atrocities, how they raped, murdered, burned to the ground people, alive, kids with their parents. And you know, there's almost 30 kids now in the hands of Hamas and they should all be free. Now they should all be released as soon as possible. If we talk about humanitarian aid, we talk about humanity, kids inside of Hamas's hands is inhumane in any way possible. There's kids there who from lost... The the age, from the age nine months, from Nir Oz, there is a baby who is nine months old, and we don't know if he has his formulas, if he has his diapers. There's even... There's kids there without their parents. Their parents got murdered... In front on, of them. In front of them, and they were taken into Gaza by Hamas. We have to remember that Hamas is ISIS, and they're a vicious terror organization, and all kids should be released immediately, immediately. How did you find out that this happened? Uh, first of all, first thing on, on Saturday morning, there was, uh, uh, we knew that there are bomb, that, that there are missiles from Gaza. We, are, we used to it, because uh, my uncle and uncle, my aunt and uncle live there, from the early 60s, okay? And the last 20 or 15 years, they're bombing all the time. So we got used to it, and we have the WhatsApp uh, group of the family, and we ask them, how are you? And I didn't know that Karen, my cousin, and her son went to Nir Oz that uh, weekend. You know, we are good cousins, but I don't know uh, each day what she's doing. So around uh, 11, I text her, what's going on with your parents, since we knew that we, we didn't have a connection with her parents. And unfortunately, on 11 uh, a.m., she was already in, uh, in Gaza with her parents and her uh, son. 
It took time to understand what's going on. At the beginning, we thought there's no electricity, there's no connection with the, uh, there's no Wi-Fi. That's why they don't call us. But then, from the marvelous, nice kibbutz, uh, they left only 150 people out of 400. Uh, so only on Saturday night, someone uh, that I asked her, that I know, I knew her, and I knew that her parents live in New Orleans. I called her, and she said, "Listen, they are not on the survival uh, list, and they are not on the dead list. Meaning they're probably kidnapped." And then the army came and told us that they they have their reason to believe that they kidnapped them so the the government has been in touch with you because we've talked to other families that the government wasn't in touch yeah so it took some time at the beginning there was a lot of uh, chaos nobody knew what exactly is going uh, was going on uh, but after a few days we had contact from the uh, government telling us that they know that uh, our family is inside gaza at the beginning we also thought that Roy, who was murdered was also with them, um, but it was just uh, due to the time it, it took to figure out his body. You know, Hamas, they didn't just settle for killing and murdering everyone. They also burned their bodies and just <sighs> beheaded people's heads. And it was so difficult for, for the, the government and all the authorities to, to, to match the DNA that the families gave them with the bodies that they found. So, like, it, like we told you, only yesterday, there was the funeral of Roy, who was murdered more than two weeks ago. And there are two, more than 200 uh, bodies that are not recognized yet because of the conditions of the body. Roy, my cousin's house, is burned. I can show you the, the film. Someone came there and took the, the video. It's, it's burned. You see nothing, nothing. What do you want to say to the people who have, who, who, who have your family right now? What, 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 if, you, if they're watching right now, what, what would you say to them? Let them go. They're, they're innocent. They're innocent civilians. And what would you say to the leaders of Turkey or Qatar or, or if Egypt? You, if you actually care about people and you want to, to seem humane and you want to connect with the West and, and pres present yourself as, as liberal and, and loving mankind, you should do everything to release all civilians. Listen, we uh, and all the kibbutzes uh, in the, next to the, the Gaza border are peace lovers. You know, my uncle lived there for more than 60 years. He used, with his friends, he used to take uh, people from, and kids from Gaza to healthcare in Israeli hospitals because they didn't have good hospital uh, in uh, Israel. We had lots of program. The kibbutz made a lot of pro peace programs. They had uh, things with, uh, with kids, uh, exchange kids, showing, mm. talking with kids, uh, explaining kids what peace is trying to be good neighbors and, uh, you know, the, the, the Hamas, instead of taking the money that the Qatar gives them to, to educate the people, to, to, to build uh, big uh, uh, hospitals, to, big, uh, to build uh, university or places to work, 
They, they use it uh, with weapon ag against us. And what else we discovered that we gave uh, people to come to work in Israel since we wanted them to have money and mm. we wanted them to have salary. And instead of that, you know, they had maps of all the kibbutzes, they had maps, each family, where, where do they live? You know, in Nir Oz, the first couple who were shot, that they just went uh, jogging uh, on Saturday morning, they called the ambulance driver and they, told, uh, they, they called him on the phone and they told him, uh, someone shot us. So the, the um, uh, ambulance driver went out of his house and he saw that the ambulance was on fire. So everything was planned. Yeah, they knew they it. They have a factory in Nir Oz. It's all burned. Yep. They, they just did it, you know, to destroy everything in the kibbutz. It's like the Holocaust. Believe me, I know stories. I live here for 60 years in Israel. I heard a lot of evidence for, for, from survivals from the Holocaust. Same stories. Intricately, intricately planned and strategized. Absolutely, Itai Maraf. Thank you so much for being here. I Thank hope you. we can come back next year and celebrate, oh, celebrate oh, the tenth birthday. Celebrate the tenth birthday. New information just coming in on those two hostages were released this evening by Hamas. What we're learning about how they were taken and some of their family members uh, that Israel says are, are still being held. Stay with us. There's from the same. Welcome back to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, live in Tel Aviv, and we are getting some new information about the two hostages that were just released by Hamas earlier this evening. The Israeli Prime Minister's office says that 79-year-old Nurit Cooper and 85-year-old Yochi Lifshitz are headed now to a medical center in Israel where they will be reunited with family. Israeli officials say that their husbands, who were kidnapped, are still being held by Hamas. CNN's Matthew Chance is with me here in Tel Aviv. Um, Matthew, we know that Hamas did not release these two old ladies, these two elderly ladies, um, for humanitarian reasons. They're not a, they don't do anything for humanitarian reasons. So why did they do it? Well, I mean, it's difficult to say, isn't it? But we can say that Hamas have been releasing, this is the, this is the, these are the, the second group of two hostages they've released. The last group were on Friday. Last year was... The last two were Americans. That seems yeah. significant. Yeah. But they're, they're doing it sort of almost on the eve of when expectations rise right. for, a, for that land offenses that, offensive that we're all expecting. So it's almost as if they're sort of, you know, kind of you know, showing the Israelis or you know, sort of telling the Israelis, you know, don't go in right now. There are more hostages that could come out. And so, sort of or, or, or signaling even to the Americans. Kind of, right? Like, oh, look, here's some... Yeah, and, you know, look, as a strategy, maybe it's working because, you know, we now know that, that the U.S. has been putting pressure on Israel, asking them to delay this military offensive to allow for humanitarian aid to go in, but also to allow for this process of hostage negotiations, which is taking place between the United States and Qatar, or are in touch directly with Hamas, to actually yield results. And you know what? It is yielding some results in the sense that these two people came out today. Two people came out on Friday, and, and yes, it's, it's, a, it's a slow process um, and may drag on for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, but, you know, these people are coming out alive. If, people, if, if the Israeli army go in, 
you know, with all those hostages, more than 200 of them not released, their fate is, you know, is very, very uncertain indeed, to say the least. So we're also seeing this increase in crossfire in the north uh, near the Israel-Lebanon border, and you've been reporting from the area. Yeah. Uh, it's not just Hamas that Israel is fighting, quite obviously, especially with fighting in the north. No, it's, it's Hamas, it's, it's other Palestinian militant groups in southern Lebanon, but of course it's mainly Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed uh, militia that controls most of the territory, all of the territory in, in southern Lebanon. There's been sort of a, a daily ramping up of you know, anti-tank missiles fired to you know, Israeli positions the other side of the border. The, when I was there, there were a couple of infiltrations of Hezbollah fighters inside Israel. One of them actually got into Israel and they had to hunt him down for, for half a day. Um, so incredibly frightening, given what happened a couple of weeks ago, um, obviously. I mean, I mean, look, what the Israelis say is that they will not strike hard into Lebanon unless this really escalates beyond where we are now. And they say we're not at that point yet. But, you know, a lot of the civilians you talk to up there in northern Israel say they're not going to go back to their homes. Remember, they've all been evacuated, tens of thousands of people. They're not going to go back while the Hezbollah threat is still live just across the border. And, you know, you know, behind the scenes, Israeli officials are telling me that they will no longer tolerate the status quo on that northern border with Hezbollah fighters literally just over the fence threatening Israelis. They're not going to, they don't know what they're going to do yet, but the status quo, they're saying, will not, will not be allowed to last. Matthew Chance, thank you so much. Appreciate it. A man's plea to the Biden administration after an Israeli airstrike hit his family uh, home in Gaza. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to The Lead, live from Tel Aviv, Israel. As many as 600 Americans are trapped in Gaza, according to the U.S. State Department. One is Yusuf Abu Shaban, a U.S. citizen who lives in Gaza. An Israeli, an Israeli airstrike hit his home and killed his 14-year-old sister. Before I traveled here to Israel, I spoke over the phone with Yusuf's father, Abdelaziz Anwar, who told me about that tragic moment. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. I'm, I'm so, so sorry to hear about your daughter. That's so unspeakably horrible. Can you tell us what happened? Yes. Uh, actually, after uh, six, six days of uh, start of the war, there were messages to the people who live in Gaza and the, the northern Gaza, uh, Africa trip to leave to go to the southern part of Gaza Strip. But my problem, as well as the, a lot of Gazan people, I don't have any place to go. And I decided to stay in my home, uh, thinking that it will be safe. We find that uh, un- uh, suddenly a uh, rock uh, hit our uh, place in the basement and killed my daughter and uh, hurt me and my, all my, my wife, my son, Yusuf, and uh, my other daughter. And I have the break in my arm and I have... Uh, I have uh, some problems with, I lost part of my arm, and uh, that's the, the, same, the same case happened with my daughter as well. And Yusuf has problems with his jaws, and he needs special treatment. And uh, as you see, the, his uh, shit hospital is overcrowded with injuries, and uh, there is no, no equipment to deal with the huge number of injuries. So you're not a you're not a U.S. citizen of Delazis, but but your son Yusuf is. He no, was, no, no. Yeah, but I'm your son your son Yusuf is a U.S. citizen. He was he was born in Michigan. Yes. We're showing some pictures 
um, taken of Yusuf, taken by Al Jazeera. He's showing a U.S. passport. Um, CNN has not confirmed his citizenship, but in the pictures he's, he's showing his passport. Have you been able to get in touch with the U.S. Embassy, and what would you like to say to U.S. officials? Uh, actually, I, I, I appeal to the American government, uh, represented by the American consulate, to evacuate us from Gaza Strip as soon as possible. You know, Yusuf has a lot of, uh, some, some, he has a problem in his uh, face, and, uh, you know, and uh, all my family are, are in very, in very bad uh, situation. I am I'm very afraid on their uh, security because they, they live in a, in Gaza city, but in far and the Israelis are bombarded everywhere, everywhere. You can imagine everywhere. Abdelaziz Anwar, okay. we hope we hope that you and your family uh, get out of harm's way very soon. Thank you for talking to us. That was on Friday. Uh, yesterday, a CNN producer spoke with Yusuf, Abdelaziz's son. Um, they are still at the hospital um, waiting to see if his father uh, needs follow-up surgery. We will keep tabs on them and keep bringing you their story. Our coverage here from Tel Aviv continues in a moment. Turning to our politics lead, in less than an hour, House Republicans will meet behind closed doors to hear from the nine candidates who want to be considered for Speaker of the House, nine candidates, nine, 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 they've all announced they're running. The big question remains after the party failed to rally behind Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan over the past 20 days, after felling their previous Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, will any of these nine be able to get to 217 votes on the House floor? Any of them? CNN's Manu Raju is with me from Capitol Hill. Manu, what are the Republicans hoping to hear from the candidates tonight? What's next after this? And will this ever, ever be over? It's really uncertain whether or not any of these candidates can get the 217 votes that they would need on the House floor to be elected. But they are hoping to convince their colleagues that it's finally time to put this ugly episode behind them. This leadership crisis that has left the House completely paralyzed, unable to act on any legislation, pressing national and international issues. The House can't do anything in the aftermath of the ouster, Speaker McCarthy, and also any other any in these two candidates who were tried to replace him whose nominations were sunk amid opposition. Jake, tonight there will be a candidate forum where these members will make their pitch to the conference, and then tomorrow morning will be a leadership election where they'll nominate their candidate. But the nomination doesn't mean that they're going to get the 217 votes to be elected speaker. So that is going to be the big test for whoever wins the nomination, Jake. Emanu, several of the candidates said they spoke to former President Trump. What, what is Trump's involvement in, in all of this chaos? Yeah, they did. And in fact, Trump has called up some of these members individually to talk to them about the race. But in talking to some of these Republican candidates, they're saying that the former president is indicating that he plans to stay out of the race. And former President Trump has spoken to some of the candidates who are running. Have you spoken to him since you announced? I have. What was that conversation like? Well, he just wanted to know what was going on in the race. Obviously, nine people get in the race. Uh, he knew some of us at different degrees and levels. So I, I think when you look at this now, he's going to let this play out. It's going to happen pretty quickly uh, tomorrow, so we'll see where it goes. He called me, and we had a polite conversation. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, that the president is... Uh, 
is interested in having somebody he can work with, and I think I'm one of those people. Did he say he'd support you? I did not ask for that. What I, He and I wanted to have a clear understanding about why I'm running and what I intend to do. And he also had a conversation over the weekend with GOP whip Tom Emmer, one of the candidates in the race, and Trump himself, while he was in New Hampshire today, suggested he potentially could not try to tip the, scale, the scales in this race. He did back, of course, Jim Jordan previously to be Speaker of the House, and of course Jim Jordan did not get the votes to be elected Speaker, Jake. Yeah, big question about Trump's juice. Manu Raju, thanks so much. We'll be right back. Back in the United States, Detroit police say that they have identified persons of interest, but not a suspect Yes, yet, in the murder of a president of the board of a synagogue. Samantha Wohl was found dead with multiple stab wounds outside her home early Saturday morning after returning home from a wedding Friday night. Police say they do not believe the murder was motivated by anti-Semitism. They also believe the suspect acted alone and the community is not at risk. Here in the Middle East, as the casualties of war continue to compound, many of you watching I know feel compelled to try to help with humanitarian relief efforts for the innocent victims here in Israel and also in Gaza. You can head to CNN.com impact. CNN has a list of vetted organizations on the ground responding. That's CNN.com slash impact. Our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. I will see you tomorrow again live from Tel Aviv. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.